Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I turned to Brainy and said, I've had this great idea that why am I working from this small apartment in freezing cold Scotland when I could be working from a glorious yacht in some perfect tranquil bay in the Caribbean? And uh, Brainy's response was very predictable. Yeah, I was like, what a stupid idea. I hate boats. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverbird Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests are sharing inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Today's episode features a lovely couple from Scotland, beautiful Caribbean islands, and an epic international boat shopping adventure with a lot of lessons learned. And this is what the podcast is all about learning through other people's mistakes and successes. My guests are Bryony and Ian from Red Seas, who also share how their revelation of liverboard life came to be and the steps they took to get from a house in Scotland to a 47-foot catamaran in the Caribbean. And stay tuned all the way to the end, as we will tell you how you can get a taste of the liverboard life in the Caribbean, with a special discount just because you listen to this show. So without further ado, let's get started with the final interview of season two. Bryony and Ian, welcome to the show. Where in the world did I actually reach you today? So we are currently in Trinidad uh, on the hard, so we're not even floating. <laughs> yeah, sadly. We're in a tiny town called Chagaramas in the north of Trinidad. It's about a stone's throw from Venezuela. And we actually come through a little key or cut uh, between these, they call them the Bocas, and one side's Venezuela, one side is uh, Trinidad, so it was a fun way getting here. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been on the hard right now? Uh, so we hold out expecting to be on the hard for two or three weeks, and of course that's nearly two months now. <laughs> yeah, we really don't like being on the hard, as you can probably tell from 
how we're smiling through it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we came out with the intention of uh, doing a bottom job on the boat. Um, this is the first time we've seen her out the water as well. So unsurprisingly, we had a lot of unexpected revelations as we tore back the paint and saw what was going on underneath. Yeah. It's held us up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's always surprises. I know your story starts uh, actually in Scotland and in the UK, and now you're a long ways away from that particular land and climate. So I'm always interested to hear people's sort of origin stories. So why have you chosen to live on a sailboat far, far away from home? So that's an interesting one. Um, so it kind of starts a fair while back now, probably about three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, it kind of starts with me, which is why I'm introducing this story, because I had a bit of a revelation that was you either can have time or money and it's up to you how you spend either. But if you want to make money, you have to use up time. If you want to use up time, it's probably going to cost you money. But either way, you've got to prioritize one. So, um, yeah, I was I had a job where I traveled a lot. I used to travel around Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Russia, pretty much doing laps. And in between flights, I got to spend a lot of time at home. And like a lot of people, I stuck on YouTube in the background as I worked and stumbled across a couple of YouTube channels that happened to be on boats exploring and everyone can guess which ones they were. And then one day after a couple of months, I think, of getting hooked on these YouTube channels, I turned to Brainy and said I'd had this great idea that why am I working from this small apartment in freezing cold Scotland when I could be working from a glorious yacht in some perfect tranquil bay in the Caribbean? And uh, Brainy's response was very predictable. Yeah, I was like, what a stupid idea. I hate boats. <laughs> That was a bit limiting. Uh, so we, we basically, we, we didn't fight. We discussed several times about this. And eventually we said, right, we'll, we'll take this idea and we'll put it on the shelf, try and ignore it, try and let it go. And that probably lasted. I mean, you just couldn't do it. You just couldn't <laughs> let the idea go for months. It just kept on coming up. It did. Um, yeah. yeah. So eventually we, we kind of thought, right, well, let's look at this seriously and work out if it's anything more than just a dream. Um, and so we put in a couple of, checksums to make sure that we could actually do it that we actually wanted to we actually tried you know we we uh hired a boat for an afternoon at first just to test if we actually liked the feel of a catamaran over a mono because all of our experience had been in monohulls and then we said well okay yeah we, we like a cat so we like the space that we would have when we're living but i don't know if we can sail one so let's try that so then we uh did a bare boat charter for two weeks in the adriatic and said right let's see if we can when there's nobody else around and it's just the two of us can we handle it yeah, that was a fun one. So we, we basically took two weeks where we set off from Dubrovnik, Croatia, and we deliberately, we, we told the charter company, we're like, we're just going to go and get lost. Like, well, okay, that was where you're going. It's like, we're going to get lost. So we went as far away from civilization as we could, and we found a whole pile of islands that string up the side of Croatia and out towards Italy, basically. Um, I think we didn't see a human being for about almost two weeks solid, actually. Yeah. And we came out of it, and we didn't hate each other. So that was a good sign. Uh, <laughs> so we decided that from there, okay, check some two. We've done the day charter. We like catamounts. Now we've done two weeks solid on a boat. We survived. And uh, from there on, it was kind of all systems go pretty much. Time to sell everything we had and yeah, make the leap. Wow. All right. So it sounds like you had a really practical approach to this. Like maybe there's a little bit of resistance. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. So you just went and well, let's test this out. We've done monohulls, let's try catamarans, let's do this and, and, and try it out. I really love that, that you did interest, like, well, we never sailed and we're just going to do it. So uh, it's always great to hear that kind of experience. But uh, did you 
go and learn to sail somewhere? Or did you have that experience already? Yeah, so all of our experience was on monohulls. But when we first started talking about the idea, I just I knew I didn't want to live on a mono. I didn't want to feel like I was camping. We we kind of we had to commit everything to the idea. So I wanted to know that we could feel like it was a home and not just a temporary place that we were traveling from. Um, so monohull was out of the window in terms of that <laughs> right from the beginning, uh, which is why we then had to go. All oh, right, what, what's it like to sail a cat then? So uh, just to bring it back around to your question, um, so. In terms of training and things, uh, so in the UK, unlike ASA, is it in the US? I think um, so. In the UK, they have RYA, um, and it's kind of that that misconception that you have to have some form of license to sail a boat. I'd been spending all these years playing around on sailboats with no qualifications, probably incredibly dangerously. Um, right. However, when we started floating this crazy idea of going and living on a boat full time, that's around the same time, pretty much. That uh, I just did the the base level training that RYA offer on a boat, which is called Day Skipper. Um, effectively it's just to check that you can keep in control of a boat and you can control a crew and you won't kill yourself or others hopefully um, so yeah I went away and did that which was kind of entertaining for me I, day two the instructor turned to me and told me I didn't need to do anything because I'd already passed which is a great feeling on a five day course I uh, took a big sigh but you were getting panicked messages from me the whole way through I think well only because he didn't realise the commitment he was actually signing up to so first of all it was five days where you're actually living on the boat, not returning back to your comfy warm bed in your parents' house every night. And then secondly, wait, we have to take turns to cook. I don't know how to cook anything. Yeah, not a clue. I was I was really very panicked about that. So I befriended one of the people on the course, uh, a lovely lady called uh, Julian. And uh, she basically taught me how to make a stir fry, <laughs> which I think is... By most people's standards, pretty straightforward. But for me, it was that was harder than the sailing course by a long stretch. <laughs> so you took a sailing course and learned to cook. Well, stir fry. I'm not, not sure yeah. I learned to cook. Let's not go too far there. So yeah, that's pretty much all the qualifications we've actually got in this space. Uh, from there on, we just wing it. You know, I, a lot of sailing is intuitive. I think for most people, once they've got the basics, it's pretty straightforward. So yeah, it's just experience and learning the actual boat you're on and the, exactly. the weather conditions. Wait, wherever you are in the world, they're so different wherever you sail. So a lot of qualifications <laughs> don't help in some parts of the world. Actually, yeah, case in point. Sorry to carry on, but that's another aspect. Is in Scotland, the weather shifts pretty consistently. Every single day, it will do 180 degrees. It'll go from north to south, back and forth like crazy. And in a single day of sailing, you can get two knots and then you can have 30 knots and that can be in the space of an hour and it'll flip back and forth as well so you generally it's quite an athletic sport to sail on the west coast of scotland whereas here in the caribbean we can quite easily set the sails up at the start of the day and so long as we're planning on going one direction and go sit on the trampolines you know, <laughs> it's a bit too easy yeah it's very lazy <laughs> here <laughs> well so obviously yeah two, these two locations are very different and very far apart and and it's been a, obviously a big life change for you guys as well you referenced earlier that you know you're gonna sit out and sold everything and and got going but how long was that process for you like when you were just getting ready and was it a lengthy process was it a few months how did that happen and how did you then end up in the caribbean Oh, it's dead easy. <laughs> so we took about a year to sell everything. We didn't tell our friends straight away what we were doing. We kind of, we had this real big fear factor that we were going to turn into the people who always talk about this dream that we want to go off and do this really cool thing, but we never get around to doing it. Um, and we we didn't want to be those people. So we just quietly started making plans before we really let anyone into our secret. We then made the kind of, the big commitment of putting our house on the market um, and then 
COVID came along and UK went into lockdown and we weren't allowed to sell our house. We'd already sold all of our furniture. Um, we'd already sold our TV. And then we were stuck in our little apartment for four months, sitting on the floor watching films on an iPad, going, what have we done? <laughs> Pretty grim. So our, our apartment stayed on the market through the, the first lockdown and they weren't like house viewings or anything like that. And then uh, there was a, a really narrow window of opportunity. I can't even remember how long it was, like a few weeks. And uh, I think the estate agents didn't know what hit them because we had, I think, average four or five viewings a day. Eleven. If, what? Eleven viewings a day for the first week. Um, Which was how I'm sheltering myself in that memory. Yeah, we, we basically, it just snowballed. It just sold really quickly. We suddenly had to get out of the apartment. Then we had to look at flights. Then we had to, you know, just get rid of everything that we hadn't managed to sell or put it in storage or do whatever. And uh, I mean, we didn't have time to say goodbye to friends, but we weren't allowed to see people anyway. So yeah, we just kind of suddenly found ourselves not in Scotland anymore. And we're like, oh, oh, I guess that happened then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was weird because no farewell parties, none of that stuff. It was, yeah, pretty much that. The apartment sold. We moved into my parents' place for two weeks. I mean, basically spent that entire time on laptops, frantically searching the web for boats that were available, flights to different places in the planet. We, we were very much happy to buy a boat anywhere on the planet. So uh, Yeah, we definitely tried to buy a boat in the way that everybody tells you not to buy a boat. So we had done so much research online, we had already decided the make and model of boat that we wanted before ever having set foot on one, and nothing else would do. So we didn't mind where in the world we went, but it had to be a Leopard 47. <laughs> Terrible idea. Yeah, never do that. That's stupid. <laughs> And it's funny because friends, some very close friends of ours who also did the YouTube thing pointed out that a boat has an emotional attachment. So when you see that boat and you think, that's what I'm going to live on, even if you've never set foot on it, suddenly you're, it's like having a new partner in life. You can't just turn and date someone else. You've got to go with this one, right? <laughs> and uh, it does make your life harder picking up a boat on the market for sure, as, yeah. as we are living testimony to, I think. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is your experience on, on buying a boat far away from home. I mean, I'm kind of somewhat considering doing it the other way around. So I'm in North America, but I kind of prefer, like I said, sailing maybe a little bit cooler climates. And I might buy a boat in Europe, but you know, it's always a bit of a hassle. Long distance boat shopping and all that. So where do you even start with a project like that? So, so you guys had a boat in mind, at least brand and, and size. Did you actually, had you found a boat that you wanted to go see when you flew, or was that all up in the air? <laughs> yeah, so the story behind that is a bit of an interesting one. We, we didn't really know what we were doing. We decided to try and film our way through this. So that went out on YouTube and was a bit overwhelming. Um, <laughs> basically, we, we knew we were looking for Leopard 47s, so those two weeks in my parents' place, that's pretty much all we had searching on every website on the planet. Uh, you know, Yacht World and everything else. We were trying to find Leopard 47s. And one day I just happened to be on a Facebook group and this guy popped up and said, hi, I'm looking to sell my boat. Are you interested? Of course, meeting a stranger on the web. When has that start. ever gone wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a couple of back and forth conversations just through the, the chat window on, on Facebook. And uh, eventually we managed to organize a phone call because it looked kind of promising. We had a bit of a chat with him about the boat, its history, um, it being kind of chartering for kite surfing, I think. Mm -hmm. And we said, OK, yeah, we'd like to see the boat. Where is it? How do we get there? What can we do? So the boat itself was in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So we thought, right, let's look up a flight to St. Vincent then. Uh, we'll come out and meet you. We can have a look at the boat. And said, oh, there's a small problem. It's COVID and I'm not in St. Vincent and I can't get there because all of the flights are cancelled and the borders are closed. So 
he was like, well, you can go look at the boat. That's fine. But, but I won't be there, but it's fine. I'll tell you where it is and, and all this sort of thing. So off we popped onto a plane, flew halfway around the world um, and turned up and the boat wasn't there. So After two days quarantine, four different flights or whatever it was. And yeah, we, we literally found ourselves standing on top of a, a cliff top. We got a taxi and had them take us to this high point on the island. And we're genuinely looking at it going, could it be that one? It looks like the picture on Facebook. No, I don't think so. Maybe it's this one. And trying to figure out which one it was in a bay of catamarans and monos. At that point, we did turn to each other and go, oh, wait, is this a scam? Like, we met some random person on the internet, and then we decided to commit to flights. And we've never seen him in real life. And now there's no boat. Like, oh, great. I feel stupid. He's just a Nigerian prince. He said it would be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we a bit of hurried phone calls and a bit of panic and asking around. Now, fortunately, St. Vincent's not a very big island and <laughs> typically a lot of the islands in the Caribbean, everyone kind of knows each other a little bit. So um, it was actually our taxi driver ended up asking around and said, oh, it's fine, I've worked out where it is and took us to this, actually a bareboat charter company we're looking after it. Yeah, so it turned out the boat was there. And in fact, we completely lucked out because the seller was stuck in another country. He said, well, if you're coming all that way to see the boat, you can just live on it while you're while you're getting settled um while you're getting the survey and everything but in st vincent there's nowhere large enough that can haul out a catamaran of that size so we had to sail the boat to grenada so he was like well you you can sail it right you, you can you just do that for me can you just take my boat to another country and get your survey you can live on it the whole time for as long as it takes that's not a problem <laughs> we're like when does this ever happen we're getting to we're doing a delivery for him but we're using all of that time to test out the systems and he's not there to try and hide any of the mistakes. We really get to look at everything on board. Yeah, we pretty much had a two-week test sail, I think it came yeah. to in the end, which it was very surreal. It involved us sailing, so St. Vincent the Grenadines is kind of like seven islands and we worked our way down to all seven. Got to a tiny island called Union, which is pretty remote, and sat there on a moon boat. We even anchored, I can't remember, but you know, turtles bobbing around us while we tore the boat to pieces to work out in what condition it was. Yeah. So by the time we came to survey, well, actually, I might come back to that. Before we left Union, we then realized we needed boat papers, which we'd never done the whole moving a boat from one country to another. That's a new experience. And therefore, we, we were chasing around the boat, trying to find these little papers that showed that the boat's meant to be in that country. And only we eventually discovered, having tried to check out the country, we were told, no, we couldn't leave without the papers. We phoned up the owner. He said, oh, um some guy i don't know him his name's sebastian i think he has the boat papers just go into town and ask the nearest taxi driver to take you to sebastian's house um we were like this is never going to work what <laughs> earth are you doing and uh of course we went and found a taxi driver and said hey do you know sebastian he was like yeah do you want me to take you to his house <laughs> so poor sebastian was sitting there suffering from dengue fever and crawled out of his house holding these pink boat papers and said, I hear you're taking the boat, here you go. And uh, we thanked him very kindly and sent him back into the shadows because the light was wearing his eyes. And uh, we checked out, we took the boat across to Grenada, or to Karaoke, which is part of Grenada. And uh, by the time we had the survey, we knew the boat pretty much inside and out. So we were almost showing the surveyors around the boat, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, crazy. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a nuts process. And that just got us to surveys. We hauled out, we surveyed the boat. We lived on it for a further... Four weeks. Four weeks, <laughs> yeah. And by which point we then started the negotiations on the price point, because we discovered plenty, as you can imagine. We had some very entertaining conversations regarding whether or not a sailboat needs engines or sails. Um, <laughs> Debatable, is it? 
I know. It's apparently. The jury's out, let's just say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, and then following, what, two weeks of negotiation? Yeah. Suddenly everything fell apart and the deal fell through. And we had to move off that boat and we weren't buying it after all. And then we were like, well, now what do we do? Oh, my god! We're in the Caribbean, however many thousand miles from home. We know exactly what make and model of boat we want, and there are none here. So do we just go home? Do we just give up? Yeah. Do we go get jobs again? Or do we stay here? Well, we can't stay here because we've got nowhere to live. You know, just everything was up in the air. And we only had, you know, two backpacks and some bits and pieces to our name. You know, it wasn't like we were <laughs> lugging a lot. But uh, it was it was surreal suddenly finding yourself, relatively speaking, homeless. And, and credit to the cruising community, which you'll discover as well as you go and you already have. Incredibly, the cruising community came to our rescue. We had an offer of a, a brand new Sabre 50 in the yard and the, the crew on there said they had a spare cabin and they put us up while we sorted ourselves out. So we moved off one boat, not the other. Uh, and then, yeah, we kind of worked our, our way through trying to find where else in the Caribbean, because we could at least fly there easily, there was another Leopard 47, which was making our legs tricky by that point. <laughs> Yeah, wow, what a story. And that is uh, definitely a unique one. I mean, but at least you got some sailing experience out of it as well and checking in and out of the countries and you got to test out the boat that you wanted. And that that's great. So that doesn't, you know, things don't usually go that way. And uh, wow, I, I have watched the YouTube videos that detail this process. And yeah, I highly recommend it because it's a whole another thing to see it and, you know, see it as it's kind of happening as you've been filming it. And it's, it's so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should try living it. <laughs> it was very hard to convey. In fact, in those episodes, there's a moment where Brainy takes the camera out onto the deck and has quite a frank conversation with, with those who are watching. And I think at that same moment, I was probably borderline tears, if not extremely angry, inside the boat, trying to go, what do we do? And uh, just trying to capture the, the feeling at that point is, is surprisingly challenging. Yeah, and it must have been really hard to give up that boat. I mean, of course, there was a reason that it didn't work out, but you'd already been living on it. You'd sailed it, moved in, and oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, much to our, our uh, learning curve. Let's just say that. Plenty of people have highlighted this to us. And this is a good lesson for anyone listening, actually. We actually started doing works on the boat to get it ready for us before we'd managed to negotiate a deal on the boat. So we assisted. We were taking the bottom paint off and repainting the boat. We'd been working on repairing the the generator for however long. Yeah, uh, we did some work on the keels. Worked on the keels. We did various bits of boat work. It would all be kind of investments for us. And then when the, the deal fell through, effectively he, the owner, received all of those works for free, if you like. They got a free delivery and a free bottom job. And it was funny because a lot of people who watched that on YouTube were really angry that we had worked for free on this boat and that we delivered his boat for free. And yet at the time we were like, well, if we hadn't done that, what else were we going to do? We exactly. were sitting around negotiating and we learned a whole ton. So we didn't regret any of that part of the story. Um, it was hugely difficult to, to walk away from it, but absolutely the only decision we could have made at the time. So, yeah, it was an odd place to be in. Yeah, it's an interesting, but yet free learning experience. Absolutely, yeah. You know, a two-week charter for nothing and a whole pile of lessons, and we knew a boat inside and out. So it actually made, because we were still focused on Leopard 47s, you know, which is, I'll say that word too many times, but we were so focused on one model. It meant that all the other boats we looked at we already knew all of the basics. You know, we actually started showing the brokers around the boats that we were looking at because we knew exactly where the fuel tanks were and 
where that hose went and why that valve doesn't work and everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is really cool. And I mean, if you try to charter a, a catamaran of that size for a couple of weeks in the Caribbean, that will set you back like, I don't know, exactly. 15,000 for two people or something. It's yeah. It's just make some money, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, drawing from that experience that you've had, what would be your tips to someone who's maybe thinking of buying a, a boat far away from home and, and doing the whole thing of flying and then moving there and, and, and starting boat shopping apart from don't start working on any boats, but uh, what else would you tell people? I mean, it, it sounds stupid in a way because this was some advice that people gave us and then we didn't listen to, but now I'm going to give it to other people. A mistake that we made in some ways was that we had to commit by moving to the Caribbean before we had seen the boat and negotiated on it to buy. But that meant that the seller knew that we'd already made that commitment. So he therefore was able to play hardball a little bit more in the negotiations because he knew that we'd already made that step. Um, whereas if you're able to fly from wherever you are in the world to wherever the boat is, get on board, take a look and then fly home again, A, you've got that experience of having actually set foot on the boat and seen it and then you've got the time to go away and really think about it. But B, you just have a little bit more bargaining power when it comes to actually negotiating because you can very easily walk away and, and look at something else which was maybe perhaps a little bit more difficult for us yeah i think that's it it's it is a cliche bit of advice everyone says it is be prepared to walk away and you know there's that element of the kind of slow walking out of the meeting room waiting to be called back in that might not happen you just have to be ready to say you know what there's other boats out there and uh, that would lead on to the second one which we've already joked about if you've already decided on a make and model you've massively limited your search um, which feels like a good thing at the time but boy does it make it hard when you have to walk away from that one boat so yeah if you are so focused on one make and model and you're having to travel for it ideally have a couple other boats lined up in the near geographically in the near proximity to you so that when you walk away from one you can be saying i'm just going to check that other boat and that just puts that seller a little bit on edge because they know that they're not the only option out there for you. So yeah, if you are going to narrow it down, make sure you pick up a couple of options in one area. Don't just shoot one fish in a barrel, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, th those are really good and practical tips for sure. And uh, I mean, boat shopping is probably quite stressful no matter how you do it, even if you do it locally. And then to try to add that international aspect to it, it's it's terrifying. And I'm kind of still leaning like, no, no, I will buy a boat in North America and I will sail it to Europe with somebody I don't want to. Like, it's just, it's a lot to try to figure out. And then you add different languages in there as well. So it's a great mix of a lot of things that go wrong. <laughs> That's it. Languages and culture, you spot on there. You know, Caribbean speak English, but they also speak Creole. And the culture is a massive mix of French and English and Spanish and everything. So there's definitely different ways of communicating with people in different parts of the world that could make it extra hard. I think one massive key thing is, yeah, when you're going to be investing in a boat far away from home, you're going to want to take a deep breath. It's, it's not an easy process by any stretch. And we'd heard all this advice about using brokers and you know offering asking price and then negotiating down from that and various other things. And I think for us, we we kind of took our own little path a bit different to that. We didn't use brokers as best as we could. We don't particularly find them very easy to work with. Uh, often they don't know a lot about the boat they're trying to sell and they're just acting as a, an email relay, it seems. But other people swear by them, so I'm not going to tell you not to do that. Um, and then, yeah, on top of that, we had a set budget. We knew we only had this much to spend. We'd sold everything. 
that equaled an amount of money. That's how much we have to spend on living on a boat. Um, so we didn't just say that total amount is how much we have to buy a boat. We worked out that we also need a radar and we also need working fuel tanks and we also need AIS and whatever else. So we deducted that amount off of our budget before we started saying this is how much money we have to spend, which seems obvious. It's like standard buying practices for so many things. But I think when you get caught up in the, the search for a boat, I'm certainly guilty of it, probably more than Brownie, that I'll be going, well, our budget is 100. But, you know, that boat's only 110. So if I don't think about the fact I need to buy a radar, I can spend 110 now. And, uh, you slowly crawl that budget higher and higher and higher. Uh, so yeah, there's a little word of warning, I suppose. Just remember your budget is a lot lower than the amount of money in the bank account. <laughs> no, that's exactly true. As you, as you start looking into all the things you would want to have on a boat and need to have on a boat or need to upgrade or repair or whatever. And then, you know, even the things that you know you have to do, and then there's all the things you don't yet know about. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that makes it tricky. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I also want to move on to talk about your liveaboard experience because you've now, how long have you now lived on a boat? Um, just over a year now. Exactly. Perfect. So that's a whole year more than I have. So you got a lot more experience. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't learned a thing, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I've heard from talking to a whole lot of other people uh, is that there's always challenges and, and obstacles to overcome. So I'm wondering, are you facing any kind of challenges with either the boat or the liverboard lifestyle in general? I know you had some laptop issues that seem to keep coming back every so often. What's uh, what's causing trouble for your liverboard life these days? Oh my goodness. Um, we always used to joke that we were uh, just a step above camping. Um, you know, you, you move from a, a comfortable apartment or house or wherever you are on land where you've got gas and electricity maybe connected up, you have Amazon ready to deliver to your doorstep and a grocery store on the corner, everything's good. None of that exists here, pretty much. Um, no, when our laptop broke, the first of the three times it's broken in the year that we've been living on board, you know, we, we basically realized, oh, wait, we're in all of these small islands, yes, People live here, and yes, there are stores where we can buy food, but there are no Apple stores on any of these islands. <laughs> and so to get our laptop fixed, well, when we phoned Apple, they said, okay, that's fine. Um, I can see where you are in the world. Let me see the nearest one. Oh, perfect. You could just sail to Brazil. <laughs> and, and we had to explain, you know, that's, that's not quite how it works. Um, and so our laptop first broke 11 months ago. We got it fixed a little bit and it broke again about eight months ago and we haven't been able to get it fixed since. So we've, you know, 
it, that has just impacted so much of what we do. We've not been able to edit the videos that we want to. We've not been able to work as much as we want to online. So we're trying to work out, right, well, we actually have to fly back to Scotland and take it into a store ourselves to get it replaced. And unfortunately, that looks like it might be the most likely answer, but I have no idea when that will be. Um, so little things that coming from living in a city just seemed like such a tiny obstacle. Um, and even friends a week after it broke, they're like, oh, that was a shame about your laptop. I hope you've got it fixed now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> And so, yeah, I think the challenges of little fixes and we actually, the boat we got was referred to as a bear boat. It had nothing in it. The batteries were shot. They had no solar power. The generator kind of worked. And so we've pretty much been building the boat up from scratch. So now we have solar and now we have LED lighting. We can actually turn the lights on at night, which is a pleasure. Yeah. And all of those things you don't realize when you're buying into an older boat in our case, relatively speaking. Uh, an older cat in our case is 2004, you know, that's considered antique now. Uh, <laughs> but in moving on board, there's all those sort of things we've had to overcome. So today's challenges have kind of migrated to, yeah, repairs of basic things. There's always a financial challenge for us as well. We intended to kind of finance our way by doing website hosting, by doing videos for, for Patreon and YouTube. And we slowly started to evolve and work out other ways that we can try and create just a basic, not even savings, just an income, you know so that we can plateau that spending curve because it's no cliche to say a boat will always find another way to pull a thousand dollars out your pocket literally every single day it seems yeah <laughs> and, and and i've heard this from a lot of different uh sailors as well like it's not that you know big things happen and the engine blows up or anything it's the little things just the daily life like getting groceries will take you half a day and Things are hard to get and you can't find X, Y, and Z in this island. You have to travel far away to get it. And all these things that make the Liverpool life a challenge. But then on the opposite side of that, where do you find joy in the Liverpool life? I mean, it, it is just in the everyday of it. Every day we get to wake up and to have a shower, we just jump off the back of the boat into the ocean, which is this perfect turquoise warm water. There's probably a turtle there, like... You know, barely a day goes by that we don't see a turtle or a dolphin or a whale or something incredible. And it's something different every single day. We can we can stay in a place for as long as it's awesome. And as soon as we feel like we want something new, then we just pop off around the corner and find somewhere else to explore. There's just endless opportunities. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very much like you alluded to. I'm the kind of person who quite enjoys the challenges. I enjoy the success at the end of the day of saying, look, I converted all the lights and an LED. That was a big day stupidly um converting the power sources to lithium and working out all the ins and outs of that but i didn't know a lot of those things so every single day i'm learning something brand new so every single day we go to bed guaranteed we're both exhausted and hurting a little bit but it's been an absolute joy getting there <laughs> you know i'm waking up in the morning feeling a little bit more refreshed and knowing that that challenge that wasn't quite finished yesterday or the new one that's just about to happen like various uh, unexpected collisions that we've had, for example. <laughs> you just have to work out how to do with them and it's a new puzzle to solve, which I really relish, I think. Yeah, and there's also the, the freedom and the flexibility to just do everything at our own pace. So if we're working on a project and it's going well, we can spend a whole week working on that one thing and we don't have to prioritize anything else. But, you know, at the same time, if something comes up and we feel like, oh, wait, there's some people going to hike up a waterfall. Yeah, we want to do that. So we can ditch everything and just go and do that. Yeah, it's just kind of grabbing the opportunities as they come along and just being able to, to jump on them. Yeah, exactly. That sounds amazing. And speaking of amazing, your Instagram feed is 
just so lovely. It's definitely beautifully curated. And uh, as I've been following it, I see that you've actually covered quite a bit of distance already in a relatively short amount of time. And I'm wondering, have you already found out some favorite spots that you would like to return to? I assume you've gone to Trinidad to hide away from the hurricanes. Uh, so any any favorites along the way? Yeah, it's been interesting. We've not been planning our journey. As you may have worked out this evening talking, we're not very good planners. So yeah, we pretty much, we have almost a rule that we might know the next island, we might know the next two, but after that, we have no idea where we're going to be. Um, And Trinidad, as you mentioned it, was actually a complete accident. Um, Yeah, we only (laughs) decided to come to Trinidad two days before we came here. Uh, We we were never planning on coming to Trinidad and Tobago at all. It It wasn't on our list. We thought it was too far south, too close to Venezuela, too near all these horror stories about pirates, not safe. But we were planning to go to Grenada to haul out and do a bunch of work there. And then they went into lockdown just before we were due to go. So to, to fit in our haul out around a bunch of other work commitments that we had, we kind of sort of came up with this plan. Oh, actually, we, we could go to Trinidad, but only if we go on Wednesday. Um, and so, yeah, threw everything at it to, uh, to sail down here in a hurry. But I'm so glad that we came. Like, Absolutely. It's been fantastic. It's kind of weird. Every island in the Caribbean has a slight twist. So when you mentioned favorite places, um, we stopped in Guadeloupe, for example. That was amazing. And, and Guadeloupe's kind of a butterfly-shaped island. Um, and one side is kind of rainforest and things. The other side's a bit more built up. Uh, and it has a whole pile of smaller islands off the south called Ile de Saints. Um, but from that experience alone, we worked our way down through Guadeloupe and up into the center of the butterfly. And we went from a tiny fishing village, which happened to be filming a British TV show. So we, I think, are in the background of the Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> um, to then end up in uh, Jack Cousteau's National Park, which is a national marine reserve. And we were diving off the back of our own home into a marine reserve, which was just mind-blowing. Total bucket list experience. Absolutely. And then we found ourselves in a city, a part of the same island. And then we found ourselves on the remote kind of, again, a, natural, a nature park, I guess. Yeah. Ile de Saints, which again felt remote. You're watching meteor showers off the trampolines, you know. So that's one definite highlight. If people are cruising around the Southern Caribbean, it's definitely a spot to consider stopping in. Yeah, it's funny because everybody says, oh, what's your favorite island? And, and it's been really difficult to, to think of it like that. But then we also realized that we kind of attribute whatever's going on in our lives at the time to the place that we are. So Guadeloupe was amazing and we did love it, but also it was the first time where we didn't really have any boat jobs. And yeah. so we were able to just kind of switch off because we'd spent so long installing all of these major systems on the boat and as soon as we finished that's when we arrived in Guadeloupe so it was kind of like oh did did we love it or did we just love the fact that we were cruising and not kind of drowning under listing no we love it because boats don't break in Guadeloupe (laughs) boats are perfect they don't have problems you don't have to do anything to them they're just perfect that's how I remember everybody should take their boat to Guadeloupe there you go (laughs) (laughs) so you started your journey and adventure in uh, St. Vincent. And I know you a little while ago, you did something cool there with an, an NGO because of the volcano eruption that happened. Can you tell a little bit more about that one? That seemed really cool from what I saw on Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah, so that was an incredible experience. Um, and it was the first time that we really felt like we were doing what we had set out to do. So when we left the UK, it was not just that, oh, we want to live in a paradise, we want to sail every day. It was, well, we want to do something more with our lives. So yes, we want to travel because there's so many amazing places in the world that we want to see. And we think that doing that by boat is a really cool way to do it. But also, we want to do what we can to help the people that we meet along the way. 
Uh, we don't want to, it's not like we have the answers. It's not like we have a whole ton of money that we can come in and donate to causes or anything like that. But if we're in a place and we see a need, well, we now have time because we don't have jobs. So yeah, if we can give up a day to help you doing whatever it is you're trying to do, then sure, I can give you a day. And then on the back of that, we want to tell those people's stories. So we want to inspire the people who are watching to to see what's happening in all these different parts of the world. And not only to celebrate the good news stories that we're finding, but also to then take that into their own communities and go, oh, well, if that person can do that in their part of the world, I, I could do this in, in my community or in my city or wherever. So so this NGO that you mentioned, uh, they're called Watts on Water, uh, the part of Watts of Love, uh, a bigger NGO. But Watts on Water was specifically set up to try and reach hard to reach parts of the world through sailboats. They actually came approached as a, a great guy. You should reach out to him at some point called Brooke Watson. Uh, he connected with us and said he was setting up this NGO where they want to take solar powered lights to places on the planet that don't have power, whether that be through natural disaster or just they're that remote, they don't have power. Uh, and they'd already done some various things inland uh, in mostly areas of Africa, I think, and a few parts of the Caribbean after natural disasters. Uh, and so there was a volcano went off in St. Vincent not that long back. Yeah, because we had been in St. Vincent, we were sharing a lot of the factual information that we were hearing about onto our Instagram because it wasn't really making news headlines um, in a lot of parts of the world. So we were just trying to let people know what was happening. Brooks saw that and he got in touch with us and said, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in what's going on there. I'd like to try and get Watson Water to, to go there, to visit there, to see what the situation is and to get some lights to the people who are living in the evacuation zone. So we chatted backwards and forwards, got a plan together. Um, and he asked us to actually go to St. Vincent with him as a media team to, to film what was on the ground, to see what was happening um, so that we could then get a fundraising campaign together to get lights on the ground. We weren't able to both go because we just got the boat at that time. So we were still like doing a whole ton of work and we couldn't so, sail in because the the volcano was actually still exploding daily. So there was ash still in the air, which would have just wrecked the sails, the rigging. There were like trees floating in the water and stuff like that. So we had a heated game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> And uh, and unfortunately, I would probably dispute that I didn't win that game. <laughs> so Ian got the job of staying behind and installing lithium and freezers and all sorts of things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Brooks and I went down to St. Vincent for a week. Um, we took some lights with us. Um, a bunch more lights got delayed because of island time and delivery times and everything else. So they arrived after we'd left. But we basically just met with organizations who were already on the ground, already knew the people who were living in the evacuation zone, knew what was going on. We were there about a month after the eruptions. And yeah, we, we just visited people who had chosen not to leave. So when the evacuation call was put into place the day before the eruptions, about 100 people chose not to leave their homes because they had livestock that they wanted to take care of or because they had property that they needed to take care of or you know a whole bunch of reasons why they didn't feel that they were able to leave and move down south into these secondary schools that were um, you know, built up as temporary shelters. Um, but it meant that they'd been there for a month, uh, living on either candles or kerosene lamps or torches that would run out of batteries, collecting water from a dripping drain pipe every time it rained and this sort of thing. It was just incredible. And so we gave out the, the 25 lights that we had taken to some of the families that we met and we promised that, that more were on the way. Um, and we were able to just film what it, what it looked like driving up these roads surrounded, with, surrounded by palm trees and yet the palm trees were grey and they were 
you know, weighted down until they were almost on the ground just because of the weight of the volcanic ash that had landed on them. Seeing all of these stray animals that were just struggling to find food because all of the crops had been covered and completely destroyed. And then meeting these people who not only had been living there for a month by themselves with all of their neighbors disappeared, trying to take care of their animals. But then also, you know, one guy said, oh, I've, I've never left my home in the whole month since the, since the volcano erupted. Oh, except for that day when I walked over to the nearby village because somebody said they had volcanic ash on their roof and they thought it might collapse. So I went to help them clear it all off. You know, so these people had had so little and yet they were still giving what they had to help the people around them. It was really, really humbling experience to be there amongst them um, and to learn some of the things that they'd been through. And now uh, 300 lights have reached St. Vincent and we're trying to fundraise for the last 200 um, to get there with what's on water. So... We're hopefully going back uh, in a couple of weeks to see the same people again, see how they're getting on, um, and try and get those last 200 lights into the communities. Yeah, so that's kind of that shining a spotlight on inspiring things that are happening. I know it's almost a joke to use the term spotlight, bringing those lights in and being able to say, well, not only can we see it as Brandy went on the ground while it was happening, but being able to follow up with it and say, well, this is the effect they had. You know, these people have actually made it through that situation. Um, they're actually now starting to open up that, or they have opened up that uh, that red zone, as they called it, and people are moving back home and they're getting a real sense of the scale of devastation. So hopefully, I've already heard some people who've uh, been following on Instagram and Facebook about this. We have managed to show people that there's ways that they can influence and help and, uh, and be inspired to do something further afield as well. So there's projects like this happening all over the world now. So for us, it, it really ticks that box. It's, it's a rare occasion where we're in this case, we were able to give something, our time and our ability to film. And we were able to hopefully inspire a few people further afield to do the same. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. I mean, thank you for doing that. That is so inspirational to hear. And it's just great to hear your sort of philosophy of helping and sharing and caring for the area that you sail in. So that's amazing. Well, that's it. We definitely don't want to just take, take, take. It's way too easy to travel through these places and you get to take your photo and leave. We need to be able to, without sounding like a white savior, we have nothing really to give but our time. So we give what we can. No, exactly. And it's such a cool concept because you are on a sailboat. So I know you didn't sail to this particular place, but if something similar were to happen in the future, you are you know, mobile in, in that sense that you could relocate to to assist someone else who is in need of help. So that is a really cool philosophy to have, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's often forgotten that, you know, these cruising boats, we're all sitting there with a water maker, power station, dry beds, you know, mobility so we can bring stock in. So yeah, we're hoping that this will just snowball into a bigger thing that if there is a, a disaster that requires us to come in, we can produce water, fresh water that's safe to drink. We can charge phones to allow people to call loved ones to let them know they're safe, that kind of thing. So it, it all gets kind of massive in our heads. We get way too excited, way too fast. <laughs> That all sounds amazing. And there's a lot of amazing things coming your way, I'm sure, in the future. So what is next for you? And what is next for your YouTube channel? Because we've all been waiting for a season two, despite your laptop problems. Are we getting a season two sometime soon? We are absolutely getting a season two. Um, it was really funny. We, we put out season one just thinking, you know, oh, so many people start vlogging and they they put these episodes up and if 10 people watch we'll be so thrilled just to have people who are interested in what we're doing and the whole thing just took off so much more than we were anticipating 
Um, I think we had 100,000 views before we'd even finished season one. And we thought, oh, my goodness, what, what on earth is going on? Uh, we just weren't prepared for it. We couldn't keep up. I mean, we had so much to do around that time anyway. As you can see, when you watch season one, there was a lot going on. And so it, it just wasn't possible for us to edit the videos fast enough to keep them coming out. Um, and so we decided to take a little bit of a break to sort out how we were going to make this possible in the long term um, and to just get our heads around what actually this whole YouTube thing was all about. Then obviously with the laptop problems, there's been a bit more of a delay, but we have been filming. So yes, we're hoping to get season two um, and some special episodes to kind of catch you up to real time uh, out very, very soon. But in terms of the adventure, where it goes next, well, there's a lot's been happening and that'll all be summarized in episodes. We're kind of I said earlier, we plan for the next two islands, you know, that's pretty much as far as we think. Yeah, we're in Trinidad right now. We're going to St. Vincent um, to do this follow-up on the volcano. But after that, we really don't know which direction we're going to be going. So once we get to St. Vincent, you know, we might meet somebody who suggests something or invites us to something or, you know, something might come up and we really enjoy the flexibility to just be able to say yes to that when it arrives. So, yeah, we have no idea where we'll be this time next year. Makes it really hard to make a teaser, you know. It's like, yeah, and follow next week to find out because we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's the greatest thing about sailing, and that's what I look forward to experiencing, and what I enjoy uh, watching on YouTube as well. Like, well, we don't know. Like, we don't need to plan. It's this is not land life. You don't need to have your calendar marked for every day of the week. Like, we'll we'll see when we get to it, and maybe we're. On this island, maybe we're somewhere else. Maybe we're still here. Who knows? So speaking of which, where can we follow the adventure online? Uh, we have so many ways you can follow. Probably the best way is through Patreon. Uh, so we have patreon.com forward slash Red Seas. Um, that said, that's a way to support us. So we're not looking for people to send us money. If you want to just see some nice pictures and what's going on, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Brownie works incredibly hard on our social media front. Yeah, so we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Real Red Seas. Um, and then we have a website as well, red-seas.com. And all of that ties into our YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Red Seas. So we're kind of everywhere. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, and we try and keep most of them up to date. As you can tell, the social media site is brainy. She keeps it very up to date. The website is me. I don't keep it nearly as up to date as I should. Uh, <laughs> so we'll try and tidy that up and hopefully start making that a kind of center point to go to, I think. That's fantastic. And I will definitely link all of that below. Well, on to our final words. Do you have any anything else that you want to share? Any warnings or advice or tips or for, for any any call to action for, for uh, listeners here? So the only thing I, I realized that we haven't talked about is we were talking a lot about that experience as we made the decision that we wanted to live on board and then making that leap to actually selling everything and leaving our home. And we realized that what we were chasing for in all of those kind of steps to check it out was a taste of the lifestyle to see if it was really what we wanted to do or not. Um, so something that we're just setting up now is we're going to start offering something called the cruiser experience. So for people who think that they want to buy a boat and live on board, but haven't done it before, uh, they can come and live on our boat with us for a week. It's not going to be like a charter. It's not a five star experience. It's not. <laughs> A sailing school we're not going to teach you how to sail or get your qualifications but you can come and just see what it's like to actually live on board you can help us with the provisioning we can teach you how to fix an engine but you'll also get the highs of oh we can go hiking we can go diving we can go snorkeling we can meet other cruisers and hear stories of people who live like this full-time and have been all around the world doing it 
so yeah, we're, we're trying to set that up at the moment. Uh, details are on our website. So hopefully we'll have some people joining us this year to yeah get that taste before they make the leap and they, they know it's really what they want to be doing. Absolutely. We discovered fairly early on that hearing those conversations from other cruisers, just the opportunity to be... We actually had a little house party one night where we had four or five different boats and a, a friend who's never cruised before was with us. And they just sat like a fly on the wall and listened to all of these conversations and absorbed the fact that part of cruising is sharing all the things you did wrong rather than all the things you did right. So it's brilliant education. You sit there and somebody explains how they blew up an engine and fixed it, how they ran aground and worked very well. Whatever it may be, you, you hear all the, the dirty gossip and how to get out of it. And that's the best way to learn. So we thought through the cruiser experience idea that that might expose people who otherwise just don't get that opportunity to all of that content, all that storytelling, all of that experience, and most of which will just be right here on board. That's an amazing idea. I love that you're doing that. That sounds absolutely fantastic and definitely something that like someone like me who still has very little sailing experience, but somehow just knows like, no, I think this could be a cool thing. But, you know, before you go spend hundreds of thousands in a boat, maybe go, <laughs> maybe go test it out. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Awesome. Absolutely. Had we had this experience, had we been able to taste this experience, then we could have knocked straight out the, the half-day charter we did in the UK, the two weeks in the Adriatic that we chartered a bear boat, because all of that's kind of um, uh, the shiny version. You know, the boat works perfectly. Someone's there to look after you or there's someone on the phone. Get the real experience. It's so rare to find it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully some people will find it interesting. Yeah. And we want to tailor it to the people who are coming as well, because everybody yeah. comes with their own experiences. And some people say, well... You know, I've I've sailed loads, but I've actually never spent a night on anchor. Or I've sailed loads, but I've never been sailing at night. Or I've never moved from one country to another. So we can tailor programs to meet what it is that people are looking to get out of that experience to help them decide if it is the lifestyle for them or not. All right, listeners, if you want to learn more about the cruiser experience, which sounds absolutely fantastic... The website is red-seas.com forward slash cruiser experience. And Bryony and Ian have kindly offered us a 10% discount for any trips in 2022 with the discount code LSP, as in the first letters of Liverboard Sailing Podcast, LSP. The details are all in the description in writing as well, so you can check out the links and details in there. So this was the last interview of season two, and what a season it's been. I have learned so much, and next week I will actually review and recap the season and share the best advice I received from these interviews. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in for the season. I'll see you next week for the final episode of season two and the year 2021. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.